verses 5 through 8 will be our text this morning. Now I'm preaching this and next Sunday uh, we're going to get back to the Gospel of John and spend some time in that. But I've been preaching each Sunday what will be the topic for our prayer meeting on Wednesday night. We have started the year with a focus on prayer. Each Wednesday night of this new year has focused on one aspect of prayer. As a congregation, we are anticipating in this year taking steps forward to build. But before we begin building, we've got to be sure we're ready. We've got to be sure we're, we're seeking God. We've got to be sure our priorities are where they need to be. Because Satan will work to create division in any way that he can. So we started this year off praying. The first Wednesday night we spoke, focused on spiritual renewal. Because we need, we need to be renewed in our passion for God. Every day. We're always reforming, always getting closer. And I wanted us to begin there as a reminder that, quite frankly, as important as building may be, God is much more concerned about what's going on in our hearts than He is about any brick and mortar that, that would be built. So we've got to start there. Last Wednesday night, we focused upon unity, being one. Certainly, any time you build, there are opinions, there's discussion, and it's real easy whenever there's a disagreement that we, we forget that what binds us together is more powerful than anything that we would disagree upon. So we want to keep that bond of unity. Now, this coming Wednesday night, we're going to be focusing on wisdom, seeking God's direction. That we will not do what we want to do, but we will do what God wants to do. So to that end, and to get that thinking in our minds, I want us to look at a passage that is, is very familiar. This is a, a, a coffee cup verse. It's one of those verses that you often find on coffee cups or printed so that we keep it in our thinking. And rightly so. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Bow with me. Let's ask God to guide us now. Father, I read that last verse where it talks about turning away from sin will be healing to our bones and refreshment to our flesh. Lord, we need that. This world takes a lot out of us. And Father, we still tend to go our own way and to do what we want to do rather than seeking you. And Lord, I pray this morning that we would experience the truth of this verse and feel refreshment as we turn away from sin that would destroy and we look to you, the giver of life. Now, Father, guide us. We confess that this is a verse that we have heard time and time again. And Father, we confess that sometimes we hear it so often we don't reflect upon it. We don't think about what it means. So, Lord, let these not just be words on our lips. But let these verses be the very desires of our heart. Glorify your name, Father. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Being humble enough to ask for direction is crucial. In fact, it's not an overstatement to say it can also be a matter of life and death. Tragically, what happened to the Kennedy family in August of 19... I'm sorry, not 19... Or yeah, 1999... 
illustrates this. On July the 16th of 1999, the small plane piloted by John F. Kennedy Jr. crashed into the Atlantic Ocean. Everyone on board was killed. Kennedy was piloting it. His wife was with him as well as his sister-in-law. And for some unknown reason, the plane literally went straight down into the ocean. After the NTSB investigated, they found out that the cause of the crash was pilot error due to spatial disorientation. Basically what that means is this, that flying in the night, Kennedy became disoriented. He thought that down was up. And instead of looking to his controls, apparently, he followed his instinct. Those who train pilots say that this is something they have to be aware of. Because in conditions where visibility is bad, it is so easy to get turned up and down. And your inclination is to trust your senses. But you can't. The tragedy is compounded by the fact that before he took off, before Kennedy flew, his flight instructor came to him and said, why don't I fly with you? And Kennedy said, no, I don't think we'll need you tonight. It's a short flight. And tragically, it ended in death. In many ways, you and I face a very similar circumstance. Not, not in flying, but in the decisions that we make. You and I face countless decisions every day. Now granted, some are weightier than others. Some decisions we make on the fly, some we really pause. But the fact is, you and I face decisions, and with every decision, we have choices to make as to where we will look for guidance. And when you really get down to it, there are two ways that we can look. As we navigate life, we can either follow our senses, our intuitions, and we can follow what makes sense to us, or we can follow the instrumentation that God has given us. His word. Or we can follow the counsel of the advisor, the instructor that God has given us, the Holy Spirit. Those are the choices. Self or spirit. Let, we will either guide ourselves or we will let God guide us. And that's what Proverbs 3 verses 5 through 8 lays out before us. Verses 5 through 7 point out the choice of what could, the danger is in relying on ourselves. Verse 5, very clear at the very end of that verse. Do not lean on your own understanding. That means don't rely on. Now if I were to have given you a fill-in-the-blank, a fill-in-the-blank question that asked, when you are faced with a decision, where do you look for guidance? What would you have put in that blank? Intuition? Counsel of others? Maybe, maybe you would have put tradition. I ask myself, what would my parents have done? What have they, they taught me to do? But well, we're told here not to trust our own capacity to understand these issues. One translation translates this verse by saying, Don't think that your own understanding is enough to help you. I like that. Don't think that your own understanding is enough to help you. Now verse 7 tells us why we look to our own understanding. We think we're wise. Be not wise in your own eyes. That's a way of saying, don't be prideful and think you have figured everything out. You see, the lack of asking for help, the lack of seeking guidance reflects a heart that is prideful that says, 
I can do this. I can figure it out. But the scripture warns us that following our own path, following our own instinct, following our own desires never leads to a good place. In fact, there are two Proverbs. Proverbs 14.22 and 16.25 both say the same thing. There is a way that seems right to man, but the way of it leads to death. Think about the gravity of that. There's a way that's going to seem right and make sense. And our desires are going to say follow it, but the end of it's going to be death. But what we are instructed here is contrary to that. The voice that we hear in this passage is calling out to us in opposition to the world because the culture around us says this. If you want to know what to do, our culture says, follow your heart. It's a big Disney movie. Follow your heart. You want to be free, the world says? Follow your heart. Follow your desires. Your desires were given. And the world tells us that if you follow your desires, then you will have freedom. But think through those ideas scripturally. Follow your heart. The Bible says this. Your heart is deceitful among all things. Your heart will lie to you. It's like a messed up GPS. It'll take you the long way. You say, follow your desires. That's a big idea in our world. If your desires are leading you to engage in something, don't inhibit your desires because the world's thinking is that will cause psychological damage if you repress your desires. The Bible says your desires are enslaved to sin. Enslaved to sin. Our desires will lead us away from God. And if they lead us away to God, that is leading us into death. Following our heart, following our desires will lead us toward death and more enslavement. What seems right is not always right. In 1879, the crew of the USS Jeanette found that out in a horrible way. The USS Jeanette was captained by George Washington DeLong. And they had been commissioned by a private financier to discover what was really at the North Pole. You see, at this time, the common wisdom said this, that the Gulf Stream and the Atlantic Ocean that led upward ended up at the North Pole. The Gulf Stream and the Pacific Ocean ended up at the North Pole. So the best cardiographers of the time all said the same thing. If you get through that first layer of ice, guess what you'll find at the North Pole? Not Santa, but a tropical paradise. They felt like that the warm waters would feed a pristine island paradise. Just got to get through the ice. So the USS Jeanette sets out. They get through the first layer of ice. You know what they found? More ice. They got through the next level of ice. And you know what they found? More ice. And eventually the ice found them. And the ship was encased in ice. For two years, the men subsided on what they could catch from the ocean, polar bears or seals, living on a ship that was going nowhere. Until finally, the ice began to move again and literally crushed the ship. So now you had over 100 men, 1,000 miles from land on an ice floe. But what a picture. The common wisdom of the day said, paradise. The reality was, Ice, ice, baby. I know, I had to go there. 
and, and applause broke out. But you'll remember that. See, the common wisdom is not always right. And in fact, the scripture tells us that if we follow it, we're going to find ourselves trapped in death. That's why the scripture says don't go that way. Now, that's one option. Follow your own understanding. It will not end up well. But now we're told the other path that we need to seek. And in fact, this other path is described in three statements. Verse 5, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Verse 6. In all your ways acknowledge Him. Verse 7. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Trust, acknowledge, and fear. All those point to the same truth that we are to look to God to lead us. So in verse 5 when it says trust in the Lord with all your heart, it's saying be confident in God. Rather than relying upon yourself, rely upon Him and His wisdom to guide you. Rather than trusting your desires, trust God and look to Him even when His teaching is contrary to your desires. Especially when His teaching is contrary to your desires. The interesting thing is the Bible makes promises to those who will trust God. Do you know the Bible says this, that the man who trusts God will be blessed by God? You want the favor of God upon your life? Learn to rely upon Him. The Bible also says this, that the faithful love of God surrounds one who trusts in God. Faithful love sounds good, doesn't it? You want to dwell in that? You want that to be the, the air that you breathe in? Trust Him. The Bible also says this, the person who trusts God will not live in fear of getting bad news. Doesn't mean that bad news won't come, but it means there's not fear. You know why there's no fear? Because trust in God conquers fear of what may happen in this world because we can say our Heavenly Father is going to take care of us. Now notice the description in verse 5. Trust Him with all your heart. This starts with the inwardness. Now the heart is the origin of your thoughts. It's the origin of your will and your desire. The heart represents that which drives your thinking and drives your desires. So to trust Him with every part of our heart means that we will trust Him with every part of our person. Now, let's break this down. That means when my desires are contrary to what God says, I will trust Him. If I could give a very practical application, it's this. That when the moment comes of temptation, Maybe it's sexual temptation to look at something on the screen or to, to engage in lust. And your desires are saying, do that. You make the decision to say, I'm going to trust God to say no because He has something better. Desires say, won't go one way. The Word of God says the other. So I show my trust in God by working and fighting to obey Him. It means that I trust Him with my thinking. Even when the wisdom of the world goes the other way. We come back to an issue where you see this very clearly. Sometimes it's in giving. Thinking, common sense thinking may say, well, just, just give what is left over. But God says, trust me in giving the tithe, giving the first fruits, and see if I will not bless you. To trust God in our thinking means we step out, even when it may be counterintuitive. To trust Him with our heart means that we are willing to say, Lord, change my mind even when my mind is made up. 
You see, you and I can become calcified in our thinking. We can get set in our ways. That may be shocking to you. But we can get set in our ways in a way of thinking. And that way of thinking may be contrary to God. So it may be saying, Lord, I've gotten set in my ways. It may be in a relationship where you've been set in your way because you've been hurt and you say, Lord, I do not want to forgive them. Because, Lord, if I forgive them, it's going to open up the door for more hurt in my life. And, Lord, I'm not going to do it. Be forgiving as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. Be tenderhearted one to another. So do you see how our minds, our thinking, when we are set in our ways, may be contrary to God? Are we willing to say, Lord, change me. Change my thinking. That's why Paul wrote in Philippians, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. You see, a lot of times we justify our actions by saying, that's just the way I am. That's who I am. I can't help it. I get angry quickly. That's who I am. I gossip. That's who I am. I can't help it. That is not an excuse to live contrary to God's ways. Because God is saying, if you say, that's who I am, you're leaning on your own understanding. Trusting God means, Lord, change who I am. Change me, Lord, so I will desire the things you desire. Change me so that I will do the things you want me to do. Now, the challenge is trusting God when we can't see the outcome. Isn't that the challenge in trusting if God were to come to you right now and say, if you trust me, this is how this situation will work out. Now there are times he does that in the word. You trust God and you say, Lord, I want to live according to your word. We know blessing will come. But when he gets right down to it and the decisions you have to make, trusting's hard because we don't always know the outcome. God were to come and he would say, this is the outcome, you do this, this will happen. We'd say, okay, no problem. But it's hard to trust because to trust means giving up control. To say, Lord, I think this is how it ought to work out. But true trust in God is saying, Lord, it doesn't matter how I think it should work out. God, you let it work out. So I don't have to know all the details before I trust God. John John Kavanaugh is an ethicist. Early in his life, he spent three months in Calcutta, India, working at the house of the dying that had been founded and ran by Mother Teresa. Kavanaugh said on the first morning he was there, he met Mother Teresa, and they were talking, and she looked at him and said, well, what can I do for you? So Kavanaugh said what many of us may say, would you please pray for me? She asked then, what do you want me to pray for? And Kavanaugh made a request that many of us may have asked. Would you please pray that I would have clarity? Yeah, make it clear, Lord. Mother Teresa looked at him and said, No, I'm not going to pray for that. One day I'm going to do that when somebody asks me to pray for something. Just to see the look on their face. No, not going to pray for that. Well, of course, his question was, why? She said, I'm not going to pray that you'll have clarity. I'm going to pray that you'll have trust. Because you need trust more than you need clarity. We need to trust him. Even when we can't see what the outcome may be, trust. You know why we can trust him? Because he's good. 
Now, I confess, I don't understand how all that works out. But if it comes down to me understanding God or God being God, I'll let God be God. We can trust Him because He's given His Son. If He's redeemed you by the blood of His very Son, do you think He's going to forsake you? But the good news is He doesn't just stop on the inward aspect. Look down at verse 6 now. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. If verse 5 deals with the inward heart and every aspect of your being trusting God, verse 6 deals with all the parts of your outward life. Notice the plural, ways. Not just one way. It's not just talking about life in general. This is saying in the different paths you go down each day. When you get up in the morning and you put on, okay, I've got my mom hat on now, got to get breakfast together, got to get out of the door. And then you, you change hats and you put on your office hat. Now I've got to go into the office, got to get stuff going there. And then you come home and you have on your taxi driver hat because now you've got to get junior from point A to point B. All the different hats we all wear every day. All the different ways. That's why it's plural. He'll make straight your paths. What this means is recognizing the sovereignty of God in everything you do not just church your marriage your family time your job yes it's saying Lord show me how to glorify your name at work show me how to, to live a life that acknowledges you at a place that does not acknowledge you it means recognizing that God is sovereign over everything thing in life and when it says that he'll make our path straight that doesn't mean he'll make the path easy it doesn't Jesus said guess what in this world you'll have trials and tribulations but I've overcome the world life is not going to be easy put that on a bumper sticker okay it's not going to be easy when it says straight what it's saying is God's going to lead us in the way that honors him in the way that is right in the way that is good. It may not be easy, but it is the way that will be pleasing unto Him. And what is pleasing unto God is what will bring us the most satisfaction. It means we have to look to Him to remember who God is. One of the things that I learned when I moved back to East Tennessee after living in Texas, and when we moved up here next to Bristol, I learned this because why? Because it's Bristol, baby, okay? I learned this, that NASCAR is a team sport. That seemed counterintuitive to me. You've got a driver that goes fast and turns left. That's it. But no, you've got a team. You've got a pit crew working together. has to work in unison. But there's a member of the team that sits high, usually on top of the, the, the top highmost part of the grandstand itself. And this guy has binoculars or, and a, a walkie-talkie or a radio, and he's the spotter. The spotter sees the whole track. The driver sees what's in front of him. But the spotter is in communication saying, okay, there's been a wreck on curve three. You need to take the high route. You need to find a groove in the higher route. Now look behind you. Look behind. The spotter's talking to the driver, saying, watch for this. You need to go low because there's, there's cars that are getting jammed up. The spotter is talking to the driver. Listen to the spotter because the driver knows the spotter sees the whole track. God not only sees the track we are on, he has made it. So he's saying acknowledge him, acknowledge his plan because following my path will lead me right into a wreck. But if I acknowledge the spotter, it's going to guide me in the way that will glorify him.
And the way that glorifies him, look to verse 7, is turning from evil. Now look at the third aspect of this. Trust, acknowledge, fear. Live in the fear of God. We get uncomfortable talking about fear. I think sometimes we actually dumb down the concept of fearing God because we don't want people to be afraid of God. I understand that. Fear is reverential awe. Okay, don't get me wrong. It is being in awe of who God is and having a respect. But I have to tell you, when I read the scripture, sometimes we need to be afraid of God. There's, it, it's, it's amazing when you read that when an angel from heaven appears, what's the first command they usually say? Fear not. Don't be afraid. Can you only imagine being in the presence of God? So you see, there's this interesting dynamic that takes place. We should fear the presence of God. But at the same time, we long for it. It's almost like one of those scenes where you don't want to see something, so you cover your eyes, but then you want to see it, so you open up your fingers. I want to be near to God, but I'm scared to be. I need to be near to God, but at the same time, I'm terrified. See, that's the good news of the gospel. Do you understand that the Bible says there's no fear in love because perfect love has cast out all fear. That even though we should be afraid of God, you and I can come up to God and say, Daddy, show me the way I need to go. That's the glory of the gospel. But we are reminded that God is still God. So we need to have that reverential awe, that fear. And how is that fear expressed? Turn from evil. We repent. You see, it really doesn't make sense to say, I trust God, I acknowledge God, but I'm not going to turn from my sin. If I can be just very candid, if we are not willing to repent, we don't trust God and we don't acknowledge Him. It can't go both ways. To trust and to acknowledge God means we turn from evil. We repent. We turn from sin and seek Him. Now, the application is this. Don't wait till you face a decision to practice these verses. A lot of times I think that's what's happened. We, we cruise along with life. We cruise along with life. And then we're faced with a major decision. Who should I marry? Should I move? Should I take this job? And then we want to claim Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Lord, I've ignored you 364 days of the year, but now I'm faced with this major decision, so now I'm going to trust in you and acknowledge you. Well, yeah, God's gracious and will hear that, but I think that's kind of like waiting to have a wreck and then deciding you need car insurance. That's not the wise way to go about it. We need to cultivate these truths, trust, acknowledge, and fear, daily. So when the time of decision comes, we're already in the groove of thinking God's thoughts after Him, of considering what God would do. The tune is already in our head when the music starts to play, so we're ready to go. Our tendency is to drift back and do things our own way. In 2010, the Bureau of Labor Statistics did some research into the average time or the time the average American spends in religious and spiritual activities per day. They came out with nine minutes a day. Now that includes those who do nothing. I tend to think that's a little high. How much time on average do you spend seeking God daily? Not just when there's a regular de a decision to be made, but on a regular basis. What do you think about in the morning? Most people, one of the first things they do in the morning after getting out of bed 
and deciding to leave the warmth of their covers on a January morning, you get in the shower. As you're showering, what are you thinking about? Survey was done. Here are the top four things. It was found that Americans at ages 25 through 54 think about. Number one, your to-do list. What you got to do that day? Number two, your problems, your worries. Number three, daydreams. Number four, work. How should we look and compare to that list? When you're in the shower, would that not be a good time to start thinking, Lord, this is your day. Guide me. Would that not be a good time to start getting your focus and maybe as you, as you wash singing a hymn? Getting the thoughts in your mind. What patterns are in your life right now that are leading you to trust, acknowledge, and fear God? What consistent practices do you employ? So when the time of decision comes, you're ready. See, when we trust God and turn from sin, notice verse 8, the promise. It's healing to our flesh. It's refreshment to our bones. That's renewal. That's joy. That's getting your second wind. So you see, when we trust, acknowledge, and fear, there's life. There's life there. And that's what we want. I ask you today not just to think about specific decisions, but to think about the patterns that are in your life right now. Do they lead you to trust, acknowledge, and fear? This morning you may need to say a prayer similar to one written by Thomas Merton. Thomas Merton is a gentleman that became well known in the 1950s for his autobiography, The Seven Story Mountain. He left a law career and became a Trappist monk. And his writings caused a lot of people to begin seeking God on a more serious level. He wrote this prayer. My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. So far I'm with Him. Lord, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end. Nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I'm following your will does not mean I'm actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. Do you have the desire to please God in everything? To trust Him? I want to ask you to bow your heads with me.